watch cartoons We'll take a look back at where we've been So let's hop into our time machine And welcome to another episode of Cartoon Time Machine. I'm Scarlett, and joining me today, instead of our regular animate Katie, are two very special guests who've been on this show before. Uh, please join me in welcoming Caleb and Jack. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Howdy. We're oh. back. We're <laughs> <laughs> back. And I, I, oh, sorry. Go on. I'll say I am I am surprised this is the first and I imagine will not be the only time Jack and I uh, hijack the podcast for an episode. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, we've we've done like the Fox Machina together, but that's with seven other people. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, Jack, you've been on for, for Vox Machina, for our uh, Justice League and for our Oscars movies, right? Anything? Yes. Or not just Young Justice. Young Justice. That, that's all you've been on for. Maybe. And yeah, that sounds right, but maybe I missed something. Caleb, yeah. you've been here for also Vox Machina, Gravity Falls, and our Steven Universe episodes. I missed anything yes. from you? I, I think that's it. I was thinking Steven Universe, and I knew there was one other one, and I think it was Gravity Falls, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to one day get to listen to those Steven Universe ones. There were several. I think we did. I think we did two for the series, and then another one for the movie, and maybe one I, more for the future. I think you did I, four or three. I think we we managed to get the main series down into one episode, and then we had a separate one for the movie, and then a separate one for future. Yeah. But I think each of those were two hours respectively. Oh yeah, they were long ones. <laughs> I I think we might have split. I think we might have recorded Steven in one day, but I think we also might have split it into two. That sounds right. I think that is what happened, yeah. I think it was like a four-hour recording. <laughs> this will not be. <laughs> this, this will not be, uh, because today uh, I've uh, invited uh, Jack and Caleb on uh, to talk about the new Japanese animated movie, Suzume, which is now playing uh, as a recording in U.S. theaters. came out last year in Japan, but it's here in the U.S. now. Um, why, why don't you guys uh, tell us a little bit about this movie? I know you guys have both been waiting for several months very excitedly. Uh, what 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 about this movie uh, has, has gotten you so excited? Well, I guess just sort of starting off, um, you know, it's uh, by the same director, uh, Makoto Shinkai, who did uh, one of both of our favorite animated films, Your Name. Uh, Caleb, I think it's even just straight up your is it straight up your favorite or it is it is absolutely my favorite film of all time um yeah. all of you viewers watching this can see the poster in the oh wait no we don't that's podcast never mind i do have a poster Not in a my visual room medium <laughs> i have i have a poster of my room i have a uh your name t-shirt that i did wear to the screening of suzume um i yeah and i i believe i've watched your name eight or nine times um and I plan to continue rising that number as the years go by. Nice. Um, that film is incredibly important to me. I'm I'm sadly only around like five or six, maybe. Oh, those are rookie <laughs> I, numbers. I, I've seen it once because you guys showed it to me in college, and it was great. I yeah. just I I would gladly see it again, but uh, as of now, only seen it once. As of now. As of we now, can fix that. <laughs> I I fu fully anticipate the next time I see it will also be with one or both of you two. <laughs> that sounds correct. <laughs> so you you guys knew about the film from from the director, uh, and you guys have been like I said looking forward to it for a few months. 
in general, how, how did it live up to your expectations? Well, we can get one thing out of the way real fast. And it's the obvious. It's not as good as your name, but that's okay because no movie is as good as your name. No. Um, not even I, the American remake that's coming, the live action American uh, remake. That's definitely I, it might, I, at this point, it's starting to be one of those pipe dream projects that won't actually happen, which is fine by me. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's gonna, I have, I have thoughts on that, but we'll probably do another episode on that if that ever happens. Um, that's a way to put it. it sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me clarify. If the American remake ever comes out, we will do a podcast episode on the original. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, so I actually went into this movie excited, but a bit tentatively so, because uh, Makoto Shintai did Your Name, and as clarified, I very much love that movie. And then in 2020, he did Weathering With You, which was a good movie. I was coming off of the high of Your Name. I was rather disappointed because it was just a good movie for me. Um, there were a lot of like issues I had with the story and the characters and um something that I'm bringing up here because it'll be relevant when we talk about Suzume um a lot of it felt like let's try to do your name again but just change a couple of things around and almost every single aspect of that they just didn't do as well as your name so I just I was even though it's a good movie and I would still recommend it if you're just interested in watching like uh, anime movies and weathering with you comes on your cable channel that you still watch for some reason like I would recommend it but I was let down a lot by Weathering With You so when there was another movie coming out that watching the trailer also appeared to have some similarities with your name I was excited because I still trust the director to give a good movie but also a little bit worried that am I going to feel the same way I did about Weathering With You I I had a very sort of similar uh aspect I wasn't as I guess, down on weathering with you, mostly because of I found the animation, particularly so much of that film is with the water animation to be just downright spectacular. And that really helped, I think, elevate it still, but it didn't, you know, come close to to your name in that in, in a lot of different respects. And also it was very similar kinds of storytelling um and also had a very similar question of i i haven't seen all of makoto shinkai's other films i know that people like to sort of point out that there are a lot of these sort of similarities between them so i was curious now going into this one is there going to be some sort of shake up um in terms of even just the general plotting of the film and how the story evolves and mm -hmm. Um, I guess sort of launching into the discussion of it, it definitely felt a lot fresher um, for me versus uh, Weathering With You. I liked it better than Weathering With You. I felt that the character stood out more. There was a very fun whimsicalness to the story overall that I didn't expect in a very... Uh, the best way to put it would be almost like a Howl's Moving Castle style whimsicalness to the world, um, but in the present day. Um, and it's had some really great emotional gut punches that I didn't expect, not to the heights again of your name, but in a way that I didn't feel during Weathering With You. Um, and I you know, was, you know, going through the film, like, I'm really liking this, I'm really liking this, is it going to get me to cry? And viewers, 
listeners, it did get me to cry at the end. <laughs> Can uh, we some samples? Uh, yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. Um, I was worried for the first 20 minutes because it starts with a character having kind of a strange dream, waking up. <laughs> She's in the exact same outfit that one of the main characters in <laughs> Your Name is in. And then she gets on her bike and rides to school in this kind of suburbs, kind of a little bit out in the country uh, area. And I was watching with a friend who leaned over to me and like, because we were both on lookout for if there were going to be any like cameos or anything. Um, he leaned over and he actually said to me, I think this might be the same town where Mitsuha is in your name. And like, that's how similar it was for the first 10 or 15 minutes. So I got really worried that, okay, it's been going to feel derivative again. Um, and then once the actual plot kicks in, I agree, very refreshing, very much a different uh, kind of story being told. I agree that the characters, I think, stand out a lot more. They feel very distinct um, from the other two Shintai film, Shinkai films I've seen. Um, and um, yeah, overall, I fully agree. I think the tone felt different. And uh, you said Howl's Moving Castle. The thing, the way I have been describing this movie is it feels like, and this is a good thing. I, I love this about the movie. It felt like Makoto Shinkai was auditioning to direct for Ghibli that's that's what this movie felt like to me and I, it that is a massive plus in the movie's favor um there's a lot in this movie that feels very ghibli very miyazaki in a very good way it doesn't feel like it's you know copying or derivative of miyazaki but it just feels like it fits that tone a lot better um and yeah just kind of the whimsical nature of you know objects coming to life and talking animals and uh it's 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 just a very, yes, I think a whimsical tone and, and kind of a Ghibli tone is absolutely how I would agree with that. And then, yeah, just on a general tone, I also a lot like this a lot more than Weathering With You. I thought it was a very refreshing change of pace and um, I really enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend this. Great. Well, now that we've uh, gotten your, your expectations, your overall thoughts, um, would one of you like to give a brief summary of the film? Uh, we'll avoid spoilers for now and we'll go into some spoilers later, but... Or do you want to give us a basic idea of the plot? I can I can give it my best shot. Um, Same. <laughs> I I do I do just because in case I needed to see any details, um, I pulled up the Wikipedia page. But ah, in this so case, so have I. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to look at the plot summary. I'm just using this for the names. Um, but uh, Suzume is about a girl named Suzume, um, who is kind of a a standard high school student um who uh lives with her aunt um and uh one day comes across a a stranger a young man by the name of sota and she very quickly develops kind of a crush on him is kind of interested to see what he's all about um and then shortly thereafter um she comes across a very uh strange supernatural event involving uh this is in all the posters and all the trailers uh involving a very mysterious door that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere it doesn't seem like it leads to anywhere um and kind of investigating that, she gets pulled into this um, adventure of uh, figuring out what the deal with the door is. Um, she kind of teams up with Sota to go on this uh, adventure across Japan uh, to... Um... It's hard to do this on the fly. Um, fix things that go wrong and kind of uh, investigate the wider, um, wider supernatural events that are happening all around Japan and what's causing them. Um, and along the way, like we said, a lot of kind of whimsical, very Miyazaki-esque things happening, um, and it just leads to very, um, I don't know, fast-paced, very fun, 
adventure across Japan. It's 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 almost a road trip movie at points, um, which yeah. is very interesting. Um, but at the same time, uh, um, a very a very like emotionally fueled and uh, character driven story as well. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty pretty good description of it. I I think definitely a road trip movie. I would say. I mean, as someone who is not terribly familiar with the geography and various cities of Japan, I found it very interesting to get to see uh, the all the, the different towns and cities and rural areas and you know landscape that I feel like you know I've sort of just glossed over and sort of thought Tokyo and also rural places are there, but obviously there's so much more than that, and I think the movie does. A good job of traveling through those places um i did I, I i would certainly agree that that it feels at times very ghibli-esque i i like uh how how much you know sort of in that ghibli style the story is you know that magical realism of a person in their mundane life being thrust into the world of the supernatural and you know not you know really choosing it but finding themselves swept along on an adventure again very howl's moving yeah. castle-esque i thought it was that made for a very engaging uh protagonist to sort of be a fish out of water even as we the audience are also learning the rules of the supernatural in in sort of also a similar respect of like that that ghibliness i also really liked that it's definitely was centered and we'll get more into it like when talking about spoilers but the story of it was definitely centered in something that is you know also very grounded in the way that it took a uh, real life uh sort of like daily occurrences and gave this supernatural explanation to them um and i feel like that really uh also for reasons that will eventually get into really connected with me on a storytelling level of how invested I really got into that plot into them uh fixing things around Japan and uh really sort of delving into those different mysteries that were laid out um and I I just found those aspects to be to be very strong um without taking away from uh you know time with the characters and getting to know them and uh having lots of both funny and uh you know, you know emotional moments uh between them shall we say <laughs> yeah and uh, speaking of that i think this is by far the funniest uh movie of of makoto shinkai's i've seen yeah. <laughs> um there were a lot of moments where i was laughing out loud and um yeah, I, that's that's another reason why I think the the tone is so important, and and also why being character driven and giving giving us these kind of small moments with characters mm -hmm. is really fun. I, we mentioned how Suzume is a little bit of a fish out of water in terms of the supernatural storyline, but they also um, focus on the fact that she has never really traveled much outside of her her hometown. And there's a really cute moment where they're traveling past Tokyo. And she's sleeping on the train and then she uh, wakes up and she like nudges the person next to her and goes, hey, we just passed Mount Fuji and now I didn't get to see it. Why didn't you wake me up? And she's like, <laughs> like really kind of in a, in a in a fun way, but very like annoyed of like, can't we at least see the sights too? Um, and it was a very endearing way of getting to know this character. And I would say there are a few of the side characters I think 
probably we could have spent a little bit more time on. But um, in terms of understanding who Suzume is as a character, the film did a fantastic job. And I am stealing a bit from Chris Stuckman here. Uh, I watched his review on it as well. Um, but he pointed out how a lot of times in adventures like this, you kind of ask the question of, well, if this is dangerous or wacky, why would the main character keep doing it? And for Suzume, the character, you really feel that, like, even if you don't get the full explanation for why she feels the way she does for uh, for some of the movie, that's kind of a, a, a there's certain aspects of her backstory that you find out later in the movie. Um, you really, truly buy that she is the kind of person that would push to do this and willingly keep going with this. She's not really being pulled along necessarily. She's willingly going on this journey um, because she wants to help. And I think the movie does a very good job of selling that aspect of her character. Yeah, I think it makes for a very uh, a good starting place for this character that the first major thing we really see her do is, as you mentioned, she encounters a stranger and sort of has the opportunity to continue going into her daily life, but just stops herself as like, going to figure out what this guy's up to and then finds herself in this supernatural situation because the first thing we know about her is well she's curious she's bored with her daily life and wants to find out more so it that already sets you up for an entire story of it makes perfect sense that she's gonna keep along on this magical quest because she's curious and she's interested <laughs> so yeah um why why don't we uh start getting into a little more of a spoilers then unless anyone has any other uh, big picture thoughts. I think clearly you guys both recommend this movie to to our audience. Yeah. Yep. Um, I will say there were uh, two, two hot boys in this film. If you are interested in Hot Boys TM in two very different respects, you will enjoy this film. Interesting. I can only think of one hot boy. I can think of one who might be considered a hot boy. I would not consider him a hot boy, but... Mm. We'll get we'll get into spoilers. Or or if you're you're like me, uh there's two cats in this movie. So if you like cats, yes. There's two cats. There you there go. Cats. Katie. <laughs> there is one particular chaos cat, Katie. <laughs> yeah, uh I, I know Katie hasn't seen it yet this movie yet, which is part of why they're not on this call, but uh yeah, uh, this is good. This is going to be a, a Katie movie for the uh, pure chaos demon cat that is a very prominent part of this movie. I, I when I when I saw the cat in the trailer, I was like, oh, that's going to be like a cute little gag or like in the beginning of the movie, there's a cute cat. But like that cat is, is along for the ride and is very vital to the plot. So I am I was here for that cat. Yeah. And, and also definitely had a in, in a very similar sense of talking about some of those side characters where so, some of them weren't as developed as expected. The cat got much more development than I certainly expected. And it, it definitely hit home at a few, at a few moments and, uh, you know, twist, twisted those heart strings. Pulled, pulled, pulled the heart strings. Pulled. Sure. Pulled yeah, the heart strings. Yeah. <laughs> heart, heart strings had things happening to them. Yeah. But I guess we're getting into spoilers overall. Yeah, stop, stop um, listening. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's in theaters. And after that point, I imagine it'll be on Crunchyroll. So go see it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now we're now we're in full spoiler mode. So. Three, two, one, spoilers. Yeah. Um, so I guess sort of a 
little bit of a fuller summary of everything um, in regards to like the inciting incidents um, with these doors that have been, uh, you know, popping up around Japan. Um, uh, Suzumi opens it and sort of inadvertently releases what they dub in the film as the worm. The worm. Uh, Alaskan bullworm, yes. The worm, the Alaskan bullworm. Yes. Um, and uh, this is sort of like a creature from an otherworldly plane that has throughout history continued to sort of invade and pierce sort of like into Japan. And it is the thing that has basically caused the earthquakes in uh, in the country. Um, and sort of over time, there's been the sort of uh, two guardian shrines is sort of the best way to put them like uh, that have sort of held it at bay. Um, but uh, also during uh, while opening the door, she picks up one of these sort of, you know, totems and that totem is our good uh, cat friend Dajin, um, who uh, decides to run away and cause lots of chaos, uh, become a social media star, uh, turn uh uh so sota sota uh, sota uh into a uh chair that suzumi has from childhood that has three legs <laughs> um and uh yeah that's sort of the i guess sort of the more general fuller uh dive into the uh sort of you know main conflict of the film and uh sort of going around japan trying to uh, lock up these doors where the uh, worm is uh, sort of bursting into our world. Yeah, and I am glad we waited until after the spoiler uh, warning to give the fact that Sota turns into the chair because I did not know that going in. No, um, neither. I, I think the trailer showed a moving walking chair, but I had no idea that it was going to be one of the main characters who got transformed yeah. into one. Um, and that yes, was the cow's moving castle energy. Yeah, and I think that was the first, um, the first moment that kind of, I, I mean, the, the the first introduction of the worm and that whole sequence was very exciting and interesting, and I was really, I was hooked. Um, but the first moment where I realized, oh, this is going to be a very different movie from Your Name or Weathering with You was was that reveal um, that he was the chair now, and the animation and the sound design of the of the chair just <laughs> top notch every single time it moved or did anything it was just so cute and fun and it, it it's I, I think a lot of times when when people describe things as whimsical it can come across as a bit patronizing or maybe um uh like um uh I don't know like a bit of a, a criticism or kind of writing it off as something uh childish um, and I, I fully mean it as a full-on compliment when I say how whimsical this movie is. I love right. it so much for that. Yeah, I think more films need to be less afraid to just give in to pure whimsy. Like, some of the movies that we have the, the strongest love for from our childhoods are that way because they were whimsical. And yeah, I think I think the best Studio Ghibli films are whimsical. Like, I love Ponyo for that reason. I think that's a very whimsical film in that nature. And I, you know, Howl's Moving Castle is is also like that. Um, you know, not not to say that a whimsical film can't have its dark or serious or important character moments, because I think 
you know, all those films and certainly this film have those, but right. I mean, just to be able to see this ridiculous three-legged children's chair, just tap, 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 <laughs> you know, going down these big hills and running across these landscapes, like R- running, running over giant, like, uh, uh, on, on, a on roller coasters, yeah, like it's... tracks chasing after cats. It, it's... And then the kind of toy story aspect of, well, we don't want to like show everyone that there's a walking, talking chair because then we're going to yeah. get a bunch of attention we don't want. So um, the awkward moments of Sota feeling like he needs to do something really fast so he'll like move really quickly. But then as soon as he thinks someone's looking at him, we'll go really still mm-hmm. um, was just adorable. And absolutely, it was just wow. so much fun. Or Suzume having to make like, you know, excuses like, oh, cool robo chair, right? Which yeah. is one of the nice advantages of setting it in the modern day. Um, mm-hmm. One of the advantages, you know, being that they can have, uh, you know, her have an actual excuse for why the chair is moving. Um, but then also they gets to use social media in a really big way, gets to use phone tracking and all the, you know, I, I, I like I like uh, stories that are able to integrate modern technology effectively to tell a story and to still maintain that sort of magical element i think a lot of movies when they don't want to deal with like having social media and phones be a thing they'll just ignore it in their world um but i think it it actually enhanced the story quite a bit that suzume had to check in with her aunt on her phone that we could see the progress of her going across the country through the gps uh being able to track daijin on the uh on the uh instagram or not instagram whatever the equivalent is in this movie is something i don't (laughs) honestly i couldn't tell if it's like that version in japan or if it was just made up for the movie so whatever instagram it looked like instagram Yeah, the one of the biggest laughs of the movie, even though it was like a very like stressful laugh, was her checking her phone and seeing this massive essay of text from her aunt. Yeah. Being like, why, why you need to text me back right now? You need to come home right now. Why aren't you texting me back? Like just uh uh kind of scolding and worriedly texting her. And then as she's freaking out about that, another text pops up that's yeah. just as long as the first one. <laughs> I, I love that that gag works regardless of whether you can read the text. Because I, I know, Caleb, I know that you speak a little bit of Japanese, and I think you know a few words. I, I, know, I know some words. I, yeah, I don't know it well enough that I was able to read all of that, yeah, but you absolutely I, feel the energy of what that yeah, text is. Exactly. exactly. And, and right, and that's what I think is part of what makes these characters so relatable, is that you even though you can relate with Suzume's desire to explore and, you know, knowing that she's the protagonist of this story, it makes sense that she's going out. You can also feel the anxiety of, oh, this is a 17-year-old girl who has effectively run away from home. She's not going to be in a good place with her guardian after this. <laughs> yeah, I guess sort of also as a little, little moment, sort of circling back on, on, on uh, you know, chair fun antics, <laughs> I sort of, Big big shout out to the uh, babysitting scene, uh, both in the car, having kids get McDonald's, McDonald's, uh, and like trying to mess with the chair in that very sort of childlike, intelligent way. And, you know, in the kind of way where an adult wouldn't really like poke at something that's weird. Right. They would almost be like, okay, that was weird. Let's move on. But a child will continually try to poke at these different weird holes in, you know, logic because they find something super fun. Uh, So trying to sort of, you know, mess with Suda, you know, as a chair um, and then sort of leading to that being this uh, fun babysitting antics was sort of very much a 
one of the the happy highlights, I guess, mm -hmm. to say. Uh, there are many highlights, uh, you know, on top of that, but sort of a lot more in the uh, sort of sadder and more emotional regions. But that was sort of a, a peak happiness moment for me in the film. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed how episodic this movie was. I, yes. I think, again, you know, I think that adds to the whimsy element. And I think that's also something that I think a lot of modern films are sort of afraid to lean into. Uh, Your Name, I thought, was, was kind of similar in that regard, is that you get to have these little vignettes, these little character moments, this you know, the the beat of, of Suzume visiting all these different people on her travels and the night she spends with the girl her age whose family owns a restaurant or the night she's babysitting for the uh, the bar owner and having a crazy night on the town. Like you, you get to sort of see all these extra little moments that really let these characters shine because they're just sort of the star of their individual episode. And then we'll check in on them again later. But for the most part, it's, it's a little bit of a self-contained story. Um, I, I just thought that was a really nice element that added to that, you know, road trip movie uh, kind of aspect of it. Yeah, and I think some people probably could watch this movie and find it a real bit repetitive in that regard. I, I did have the thought um, of, you said episodic, the first half of the movie does feel like it's almost kind of three episodes of a show. Um, there is a very kind of cyclical aspect of gets a new location, finds new door, um, figure out where it is. Um, worm starts to emerge we have to go close it real quick um, but I personally did not mind that because I think it like you said it also leans into the road trip aspect of, of meeting different people on your travels um, I think the pacing of the movie was fast enough that it never really bothered me or felt like that 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 aspect of of kind of going through a cycle a couple of times um, bothered me and uh, yeah you mentioned like uh, her just finding people who were helping her along the way I think this movie um a very understated theme of this movie, but a very important one is the aspect of just people looking out for each other, even if they're strangers. Um, there are multiple points where people kind of see Suzume on this journey and really have no, like, no reason to help her. She's just kind of a random person who seems to be in a strange situation. And they go, you know what, just get in my car, get on my motorcycle, I'll get you close to where you need to go. And if you need a place to rest, you can you can chill with us. Uh, and the fact that there was, it was refreshingly optimistic that I kind of expected the third or fourth time that happened, that there would be a twist and someone was actually up to something devious, like even something like they're working for the worm, like they're doing something like supernaturally against the, the, the main plot. And um yeah we're in spoiler territory that never happens pretty much every single person she comes across legitimately just wants to help her even though they have no reason to help her aside from the goodness of their own heart and i thought that was really really refreshing and happy i think in general i really liked this movie's outlook on humanity as a whole and maybe that's just me being kind of cynical and having seen too many movies where like the twist is no humanity is evil and all all of us are the bad guys really um, I, I like that, you know, even like when the when the worms are attacking, going through or with the worm, I guess, singular, uh, going through the doors, the way that they are able to close the doors by basically just focusing on the good vibes of whatever place they're in and yeah. hearing the voices of people, you know, who have been in that place and just sort of channeling the best of humanity to save humanity. I really like that aspect. I think this has, is yeah. a very hopeful movie I think people are generally good in this movie I think the movie wants you to believe that 
what they're doing is good because people are worth saving no matter where they are, you know, what, what they're going through. Um, and I think that hopefulness is just shared through, through all the characters. So I, I thought that was a really nice yeah. aspect of this movie. Even, even in those very melancholic moments um, when it is sort of delving into that, especially a lot later in the film, which I guess we'll, we'll do like a second spoiler jump for like the, you know, the last half of the film. Yeah. The, um, the, we're, we're serious guys, please leave spoiler zone. <laughs> um, but the way that that, uh, I guess, vibe check is the best way to put it. I'm going to call it a vibe I'm check. I'm going to call it a vibe <laughs> check. Um, yeah. Uh, the way that that operates within the film and is sort of used sort of, as as you said, like connecting with a location and then doing so in a very, you know, powerful and personal way to the character, um, you know, sort of much near the end of the film. Uh and sort of other little hints throughout that really built up throughout the journey um, is sort of really what made such a strong uh, cap to those sort of more episodic aspects of it. Because I was, I definitely really in, enjoyed getting to see these different locations throughout Japan and getting to see, okay, where's the sort of next emergence going to happen? Um, but sort of was curious, like, okay, are we going to get into a sort of a very uh you know for the entirety of the film a a repetitious element and they sort of really knew exactly when to raise the stakes to the highest point and then very much for the last third of the movie shift the story because of things that happened towards you know the actual conclusion of the film mm -hmm. um and i felt that there was that was a very strong choice to do um, and the last third of the film still has a lot of, you know, very bombastic elements as well, um, sort of very exciting scenes, but um, it's, it definitely lent itself to uh, sort of have that uh, third act switch um, to uh, really almost an interesting way delve deeper than I thought that the film was going to in the first uh, first half of it. Yeah, do we do we want to get into super spoiler zone, or you guys have anything else you want to add on the on the mid tier spoiler level? Um, I think we can probably start getting into it. Yeah. All right. Um. So yeah, I think uh, where where we would I suppose start this is around around the third act, perhaps where uh we open the Tokyo Gate. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, either of you have any any thoughts on uh essentially the third act of this movie? I, it was very good. I, I, Jack, I think you, it sounds like you probably have more specific uh, thoughts on this because I don't yeah. have anything anything like specific off the top of my head to talk about aside from, yeah, I agree that it was a very um, kind of breaking that cyclical aspect of the film at just the right point to make the third act still like feel fresh and new and I'm excited to see where the movie is going to go next. Um, but if you want to go into more detail, go ahead. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so in regards to sort of general, generally what happens, um, you know, these earthquakes have been sort of getting more threatening sort of throughout the film. And what is sort of the big turning point is they're in Tokyo. Uh, they've sort of made it to this sort of, you know, new central location to sort of find the other uh, totem that's been, uh, you know, holding off uh the worm um and it turns out 
that uh, in Tokyo, the worm is able to finally like fully break through and it threatens to, in this very hauntingly beautiful scene of like seeing this red sky basically above the city of Tokyo uh, fall down on the city and cause a giant earthquake and sort of in a uh, big moment of revelation, um, it sort of revealed that uh, Suta was uh, basically primed by the cats since it ended up being freed from its role to become the next item to uh, basically seal the worm away and to stop it from escaping. Um, and in a big moment, uh, Suzume is able to basically implant him into the worm and save Tokyo. Um, but at but, what cost? But at what cost? In the process, losing uh, losing Suta. Um, and so we have this very big shift in the final third of the film, uh, sort of going from uh, sort of that aspect of you know her making that sacrifice, um, but also now being like, all right, I've done this. I've you know, I've protected Tokyo. I've made that tough choice. Is there a way for me to still get him back and to, in turn, get closure on uh, an aspect of my life that I have sort of intentionally shut away um, behind a door, mm -hmm. so to speak? Um, and uh, sort of uh, that that final third of the film follows uh, Suzume and her aunt and uh, one of Suta's friends from uh, from Tokyo as they you know travel across to what was Suzume's uh, hometown um, that you sort of get little spatterings throughout the film of you know in these sort of like dreamlike flashback sequences at the start and sort of throughout um, sort of leaving you wondering what exactly was going on in this environment where you saw her alone, you know, sobbing in this sort of destroyed landscape. Um, and uh, then you sort of have the big revelation that um, Suzume, uh, you know, has been living with her aunt because, you know, we knew that her mother had died. We don't know how. It's because she died in the 311 earthquake and the uh, ensuing tsunami that came from that. Um, and that was sort of really that that gut punch moment in the film for me. Um, you know, thank thank goodness that out here we're in, you know, two of us are out here in California. Um, but sort of growing up around that thought process of, you know, living with earthquakes in sort of a daily kind of life situation, that's sort of very much something that's I guess is a little bit of shared commonality between California and Japan. And we're very lucky that we haven't had something on that scale happen to us. Um, you're really least. jinxing us we, right now. We really are. Just uh, you're you're really putting some some bad vibes I am. in the universe. Um but you know, when I remember sort of following that story when it happened and sort of really sort of getting that, you know the impact of that in my mind. Um, and so having that sort of emerge as sort of the reasoning behind 
um, sort of what happened to her mother, sort of very much a click of, of course, this makes total sense from the environments that we saw during the first scenes to the fact that this story is very much about earthquakes and how that affects Japan sort of as a society and trying to prevent that. Um, and very much coming across that fact that you can try as you might, sometimes these events happen and there's nothing you can do to predict it or to, um, you know, do about it besides uh, sort of hoping that you had that final moment with the person that you care about. And um, I guess also sort of flashing back to the discussion about those uh, vibe checks, um, a big sort of moment in the the final act is very much summoning the um, the aura of her hometown and the moment where everyone said, see you later, I'll see you again soon to everyone in their lives and how with these kind of things, you, it's, it's really tough, but you don't always get that moment to, to say that to the, you know, to say a proper goodbye to the people you care about. Um, and the film really sort of uh, builds up, uh, funny enough, I'll say in a similar way, not too many spoilers to Onward, in a mm -hmm. moment of thinking like, ah, there's going to be real emotional catharsis um, to sort of getting to say that goodbye, um, but it doesn't happen in the way that I expected, um, but it also just sort of makes perfect sense for the moment in the film. Mm. Yeah, and in terms of like leading up to that gut punch, the very first time they close the door, um, you start to hear the voices and Sota's handling like the, the key thing. And, you know, my first thought was, oh, these are ghosts of people that used to live here. And then throughout the movie, you start to realize, okay, they're not actually ghosts. It's just kind of the vibes. Like they go to the abandoned amusement park. It's like, no one died there. It's just right. that's- well, that you just, know of. <laughs> that I know of. Um, but it's just the, the happiness and souls that used to be around here, even though they might still be somewhere else. So yeah, when they finally get to the last door and- no, these are people who are no longer around because of the terrible thing that has happened. It does definitely hit a lot harder. Um, and um, yeah, that's 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 my main uh, kind of addition to that point of the film kind of subverts your expectations so that when it does go back to those expectations, it hits a lot harder. Um, but uh, yeah, and then going back to kind of the initial um, uh, kind of kickoff to Act 3, uh, I did really appreciate... I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much a movie that we're not talking about today, but uh, very much a reversal from a very key decision of the character made in Weathering With You of, do I, do I, yeah, do I save I the one that person that. that I'm personally connected to, or do I maybe doom the world? I don't know. Who knows? Teenage love, huh? Um, the the fact that Susan May makes a very hard decision, but she is the one to um, uh, uh, turn Sota into a keystone. Um, and then after the fact, after she has saved the day, kind of holds out faith that maybe I can, uh, uh, you know, not undo everything that's been done. And and indeed, in the, in the final uh, kind of scenes of the film, there are still sacrifices to be made, um, just potentially by different characters than we initially thought it was going to be. Um, the um 
the idea of making the hard decision to save the day, especially again, given that context of what Suzume has been through, uh, the fact that she does get this grand moment to stop a terrible disaster um, is also emotionally satisfying, even if it is still very, very difficult for her um, to say goodbye to this friend and love interest. I, I will, now that's relevant, we can go into it. Um, one, one of my slight criticisms of the film, and it was the same thing I had with Weathering With You, is uh, the love aspect I felt was a little bit rushed. I I, I didn't quite buy into the oh. romance. Um, I, I bought into the fact that they were like, you know, kind of interested in each other. But again, it always comes back to your name. Looking back to your name, I think is a fantastic love story that they they absolutely earn it when the two characters kind of express their love for each other. Um, and in here, I could tell Suzume definitely had a lot of feelings for Sota, but there is a moment where Sota is about to have his big sacrifice, and he goes, "As long as I got to like meet you, I had a satisfying life." And I was like, "I don't, I don't quite know if that's the last thing he would scream out before he gets doomed to be a keystone for eternity." Um, but regardless, like that's that's like a fairly minor nitpick. I still, I love the plot of Suzume deciding. I, I. I need to see if there's a way to get my friend back. Um, and um, she just kind of sallies forth and the people who are with her are just like, I, yeah, we've come this far. So yeah, we, yeah. Should, we should see this through to the end. Um, again, going back to that thing of even if even if someone's going through a strange adventure, you don't understand everything that's going on, just trust them that they need to go through this for their own personal journey and helping them along with that, I thought was also very sweet. Um, and then even though I just got done talking about how I didn't fully buy the romance. Uh, the fact that Sota did come back and Suzume and Sota got to uh, 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 both walk away from the adventure together um, made me very, very happy. Uh, again, now getting into very final spoilers. Um, it was it was a very satisfying ending to kind of this, this Suzume's backstory and her dealing with the emotional trauma of losing her mother, as well as the kind of current day storyline of I'm going to fight to get back someone who is kind of unfairly taken away from me and this time there is something to be done about it sometimes there is not but sometimes if you fight hard enough you can get something back and she does and it it works out fairly well and another friend she made along the way did have to go back to being a keystone forever uh, as daijin kind of uh learns what their role in the story is and and what kind of life means and what friendship really is um, uh, kind of makes an, their own big sacrifice to uh, go back to their role as Keystone so that Sota can live. Um, and that was also very, very heartwarming and bittersweet. Uh, but uh, yes, I think the film ended in a very, very satisfying way and on all fronts. Yeah, I, I thought I was I was pleasantly surprised that the end of the movie wasn't the big sacrifice because I think in most stories that certainly you know modern american films that sort of is like the big sacrifice and maybe you have a funeral or a eulogy and then our protagonist learns to to move on with their life having seen that great sacrifice um but i i like a protagonist who says no this is not how my story ends i say how my story ends and i'm gonna keep going and yeah. there's a whole third of the movie left after that point um, i i was relatively and pleasantly surprised how much movie there was left after that i it's a whole new know, story yeah it's it's a great world where you 
you can't see how far in the film you are. You mm -hmm. just have to go off of like your own thought process. Like, you know, I knew it was a two hour film in general. And like, you can tell if, you know, if you're in a two or three hour film, all right, like this is how far in we are here. It was like, oh, dang, like that was like a powerful gut punch moment. I'm like, is the film really com coming to an end so soon? And it's like, no, we're going to delve into more. Um, sort of another little moment that really uh, was strong in, on that that character aspect as well. Um, uh, Susan May's aunt's been sort of following her on her journey, chasing after her um, sort of throughout the film and finally catches up to her in Tokyo. Um, and while on the journey toward uh, Susan May's uh, hometown, um, is a very emotionally charge scene that happens between Suzume and uh her aunt um that really you know part of it is like you know oh you know her aunt is being you know slightly influenced by an outer force um but uh it it really delved into a tougher conversation than I expected them to delve into for the aunt's character um you know, I thought more sort of, you know, she'd be like, oh, you know, I am, you know, the, you know, protective figure in your life now, and I, you know, need to protect you, and, you know, that's sort of where the gap stops, but it's, you know, touched in a little bit more on sort of the poignant moments of sort of what she's had to sacrifice and lose because of her sister, you know, dying and as well as having to take in Suzume. Um, and I thought that was a very striking moment sort of uh, during the third act um, that ends in a, a, a more amicable and sort of a stronger understanding and bond between the characters. Yes, this was one of my, actually two big questions after the movie, and this was, this was one of them. Um, because my friends were arguing a lot about what what exactly went down in that scene. I agree, it was fantastically written, fantastically voice acted, um, and it's a very emotionally charged, striking scene. Um, but my friends were actually having a little bit of a debate of was she being influenced by the other cat, or was like she really just this was really how she felt, and she had really hit a breaking point. And I think my confusion was, I think this is one aspect of the film that I think could have used a little bit more explanation is, yeah, spoilers alert, there's another cat, there's another keystone that got released, and we don't find out a ton about that other cat. It just kind of shows yeah, up. There. I, I agree that it, it acted as the moment of revelation of the cat, of like, now the other cat's here, and I'm like, oh, um, I welcome yeah what's, what's up with you <laughs> yeah. glad y'all pointed that out because i was also very confused because we'd like seen the first cat getting released and i don't think we see second cat get released no it's it was there it was implied i believe when sota mentions the second keystone couldn't hold back the worm in tokyo yeah. that was i think i was meant to imply that the keystone got released but it, i i was a bit confused by that as well Damn. and just the you know, in the middle of this very personal scene between Suzume and her aunts, it kind of diverges towards, hey, now there's two cats. And, um, you know, when when the aunt says, I don't remember the specific line, but it's one of the, like, darkest and most, um, like, holy cow lines. Um, 
the Daijin, the cat we've been with for most of the movies, like stands up and hisses. And I thought to myself, oh, the cat is like defending Suzume from her aunt in this moment and like being emotionally on her side. And then that's the reveal that there's a second cat there. And then the question is, okay, is the second cat evil or like kind of like feeding into those dark emotions? But then within 20 seconds, the two cats are cuddling with each other and getting along just fine. So I just, I was not quite sure what the role of the cat in that scene was meant to be. And I do wish that had been explained a little bit further of what's what's your whole deal, Saidajin? Um, But I did think it was, you, you mentioned it's still a good like moment of revelation because um, I think there there's, there's several points throughout the movie where Daijin is a white cat, but there are a few points where it's kind of in shadow and it looks like gray or black from a certain angle, particularly during the nighttime scenes. And then there's a moment in the hospital when they're visiting Sota's uh, grandfather, I think? Yeah. Um, yes, grandfather. Um, and Cat shows up in the window and it's in shadow and you're like, oh, okay, Daijin is visiting him. And it's not until later that you realize, oh no, that was the other cat. And I just thought it was the cat because I've seen the white cat in shadow before, but no, that was just a literally black cat. Um, and it was it was a fun little twist on expectations. I just wish it had been, it got a little bit more explanation in terms of um, how does it, is it meant to be affecting the people around it? And if so, what is, what are its motivations? We didn't really get into that. In comparison to Daijin, who we do get a lot from, particularly in the final moments of the movie, um, that was one aspect that I, I think could have been beefed up just a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I think it would have been also very easy to beef it up. Like, mm -hmm. I think you just even need, like, a 0.5 second shot of the keystone being whipped away out of the ground. Um, the, you know, cat emergence, like, maybe the cat seeing, uh, you know, the aunt from a distance or something. Um, and then just, like, a line or two from Daijin about, like, what is this cat? So I think it, it's definitely one of those easy fixes i think that that could have definitely been been integrated pretty seamlessly yeah. um yeah there'd be a few more you know writing arounds i'm not makoto shinkai um but <laughs> um yeah it, it that was sort of one of those things where it's it felt like there could have been a clearer explanation pretty concisely yeah, I, I sort of got the sense what they were going for was sort of like a yin-yang kind of element, yeah. you know, given the black and white coloring. And we've sort of seen Daijin go to these various places and seemingly seek out the good vibes, um, you know, in all these abandoned places. Daijin's like been leading them there um, and is present while they're there and seems to be tuned into that. And, you know, I think, you know, even turning Sota into a chair is sort of leaning on uh Suzume's good memories with her mother and, you know, making the chair with her. It was a birthday present. We sort of see that in some really adorable flashbacks. So, like, in sort of a converse way, like, that, you know, the, uh, uh, gosh, what what was Black Cat's name? I know it was, it was a variation on Sa that. Sa Daijin. Sa Daijin. Um, Sa Daijin. Uh, that 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 cat's whole deal was feeding on negative emotions. Like, when the when the aunt was, you know, had, you know dealing with what she had said afterwards, she was like, you know, yeah, maybe I felt that sometimes, but I'd never say it. You know, I think, you know, we all experience that frustration at times and there are things that we've thought, but we would never say to the people we love because we love them. We recognize that those emotions are not productive. Um, they always actually really reminded me of uh, Nani and Lilo's relationship and Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. You know, the, and certainly yeah. that scene where the two of them yell at each other and it's 
you you get the sense that they truly love each other. It's just it's a moment of frustration, and they've they recognize that they're not having the relationships mm-hmm. that they want to have because of the loss they've had in their lives. Yeah. You know, it's it's a uh, aunt and niece rather than a two sisters. Uh, but I think the you know certainly the age gap and the overall relationship I think is very similar in a lot of ways to to that relationship. It was certainly striking in Lilo and Stitch when after that scene, uh, Ruben from Lilo and Stitch, the series, dropped down beside, behind her, and Stitch started hissing at him. You know, I think that that was a very nice connection and uh, reference. Uh, I like that uh, you chose Ruben. Of all the Lilo and Stitch characters you could have inserted into the scene, I like that you is, yeah. yeah, but they never, explained what, they never explained what Ruben's deal is. I need like five or six more lines of dialogue explaining exactly what Ruben's deal is. His deal is he likes sandwiches, Caleb. And if you go to DisneyChannel.com, you can help him stack as many ingredients onto the sandwich as possible. God bless that game. This is a core memory <laughs> that everyone our age seems to share and no one talks about until it gets acknowledged. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, th- I think that, that that scene was effective if perhaps underexplained. I think a lot of this movie, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of world building that, for better or for worse, does not get explained. Like, you know, one one could ask, why do we need the keystones if we also have these closers going around from place to place, closing the door? Why did the first door uh, even need Sota going to look at it if the keystone hadn't been released yet? Like, there's, you could pick apart the fantasy world that they've created, but I, I kind of don't want to. I think they've, yeah. I think they've sold me on it enough that I'm not, I can sort of just buy into the story they're telling without really needing to get into the nitpicky details of how this world works, uh, which I think is is the the I haven't seen nearly as much anime as the two of you, but I I like that element in a lot of what I have seen is that it, I think American films feel the need to idiot proof and explain every last detail, which usually results in a character staring directly at the camera and monologuing for like five minutes, which is always when I check out in these kinds of movies. <laughs> I, I really appreciate the dedication to show, don't tell. All I need to know is this door opens and bad stuff happens and our good protagonists need to close it. And that's really what I need to know. And that's what I enjoy about watching a movie like this is I, I don't feel like I need any more explanation. Yeah. And I think that's very specifically Ghibli-esque of, um, I think, Ghibli movies, occasionally to their detriment, I actually, a few of, a, a few of, Ghibli movies I have a couple of qualms with because I would like some more explanation but um, in terms of I think a strength in storytelling that like you said differs from a lot of like standard Hollywood um, stories is that they explain as much of the world as is necessary to tell the story they want to tell and just kind of leave it there and they sometimes things will happen you don't get the full explanation because you don't really need it to understand why it's important to the story um, and yeah, occasionally there are details like that that I'm I'm you know slightly bothered, just like Saitajin in this movie. But um, I agree. Like I'm fascinated to learn more about the world of the closers because it sounds really cool, but yeah. I don't I don't need to know more about it because I think the movie is lacking in in explanation. I don't think that's necessary for the movie to work as well as it does. Um, so yeah, I feel I feel the same way about this movie as I do about a lot of Ghibli of. There are certain details where I would love more explanation, but on the whole, I'm perfectly fine just getting some of the answers because that's the most efficient and compelling way to tell the story. 
Yeah. I think there's a big difference between wanting more detail because you're invested in the world and story and would love more of this world and story and wanting more details because you feel like the story is lacking in such a way that you need more information. There's there was no point in this movie where I felt like I needed any more information, but like I would watch the heck out of a miniseries about the lives of the closers throughout history. Kind of, kind of gave me some like, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer as yeah. vibes of like <laughs> in every generation, there's a young, handsome man with a delightful mop of raven black hair going around to uh, close all these doors around to Japan. Like I'd watch the heck out of that, but I don't need that in this moment because the thing that matters is Suzume and Sota's story. But yeah, any, any other... Uh, details that we want to discuss about this movie i think we've we've sort of covered all of our our wide bases uh anything else you guys want to give your final thoughts on if i could ask my other big question from the movie yeah <laughs> which is from the second like iteration of the worm onwards sota is like always yelling we need to close this door we can't let the worm hit the ground otherwise it'll be disastrous the first time the worm definitely does hit the ground and it's not that big of a deal like there's there is an earthquake but it's fairly small and i suppose the explanation could be that like the earthquakes will continue to get worse every time the worm hits the ground but the movie never really goes into like strong detail about that's exactly what the consequence will be it's just kind of assumed we need to do this before the worm hits the ground even though the first time we see it happen it's fine <laughs> Um, I, I kind of wish we'd gotten a, a similar to Saidajin. I could have used two or three more just lines of dialogue explaining like, yeah, that the first time it might not have been that bad, but it's going to get way worse from here on out. Um, and it could be that was kind of brought up very quickly at one point, but uh, that was another thing where I could have used a slightly more explanation. The, the way that I interpreted that, and I'm, I agree that they, you know, if they meant this, they probably should have been more clear. Um, was that as we're traveling through Japan, we are getting to more and more populous areas until we end with Tokyo. Mm. Um, and I, I think they, the the sense is not that worm falls, the world ends. It's more like, and what I was, you know, equating it to was sort of the atom bomb, you know, with, in which, you know, obviously has a long history uh, with, with Japanese culture specifically. Um, I wonder why. Um, but I think, you know, we start off in a very rural area where it looks like it sort of falls mostly into a body of water uh, versus by the time we get to, you know, we get to more and more places and it's we're in cities. And then finally, we're in Tokyo, where it's explicitly said, if this falls, millions of people will die. And we sort of see scenes of all the people in Tokyo immediately under the worm. So I sort of interpret it as, as like what you were saying, Jack, about how it was tied in specifically with disasters that are well known to Japan and Japanese culture. I was sort of, again, sort of interpreting in that kind of this is a giant thing falling from the sky that if it hits the people directly underneath it, they're all going to be obliterated. Um, so that's that's sort of the way like I was sort of because I, I, I think that did throw me a little bit at first, too. But I, I think that might have been what they were going for. Again, could have used more explanation if that's exactly what it was, because I, I agree. It does seem like the intensity of the we need to close this right now definitely ratcheted up at the further we got through the story. Yeah, hmm. I, I sort of also, I guess semi like headcanons that oh these are you know getting stronger or more mm -hmm. dangerous because it's the worm is escaping further through the gate it's like all right mm -hmm. that first time it was you know you know the first time it had been able to breach into our world for you know a hundred years i think it was 
um, because, you know, the Keystone was, you know, one, the Keystone was gone. And as it gets closer and closer towards pushing out the second Keystone, um, it was getting further and larger into our world. And thus also why once it's fully out in our, you know, world in Tokyo, like that's some real danger zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that. That's good. Yeah, yeah, um, there, yeah. It's some, I agree. It's sort of like one of those things that cannons, they could have just but, said like yeah. a line or two. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that did remind me of that that Tokyo scene and how fantastic it was of um, kind of switching between Suzume's perspective and the average person's perspective and the the bits of like seeing the worm in reflections, but not in the real world was absolutely fantastic. Um, which just kind of reminds me of, you know, kind of broadening back to kind of a general sense of of what the movie did well, um, is the one thing Weathering With You did better than Your Name, and I would say the one thing Suzume did better than, well, one of the many things it did better than Weathering With You, um, uh, is, yeah, I, Jack, you mentioned it towards the beginning, but just worth reiterating, the visuals of this movie are absolutely fantastic. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous movie just to look at. Um, and yeah, this this studio, I feel like it's better and better with every movie in terms of just portraying a film that is beautiful to watch just in just in terms of visuals alone. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to I, as much as I want them to also continue to keep to work with Makoto Shinkai, I'm very excited to see what else in the future that they will delve into. Like if they ever, you know, end up doing, you know, a longer form sort of like series of things, be that television or film series, um, what other sort of creative minds they might gather from, you know, across the Japanese anime industry. Um, yeah, I'm just very excited, you know, both to see what uh, Shinkai comes up uh, with uh, next after this. Um, and also especially what a uh, comic wave uh comics wave um comes up with uh as well and who they end up working with after this yeah and then on one other note of something we have not talked about at all yet um the soundtrack of your name is very very special to me i cannot listen to it without crying i just tried this last week to see if that was still true it is true um and it is done by Radwimps, which is a kind of rock band, but they do also write all of the kind of orchestral score uh, of, of the movies. Um, they also did Weathering With You. And I will say, actually, I think the thing I was most disappointed by in Weathering With You is almost every single track in that movie kind of felt like Radwimps took a song from your name and said, well, let's change it around a little bit. And that'll be just the same thing. There's um there's a uh in your name there's a scene where everyone's just kind of going about their daily life and they're uh thinking about the the how bored they are with the doldrums of their daily life and there's a fun little ditty playing in the background and i was watching weathering with you and i thought to myself I, this is this this sounds almost like the same song and it's just different enough that i'm kind of annoyed by it <laughs> um uh, so something I was very, very pleasantly surprised with is uh, Radwimps did still handle the soundtrack. I think they might have teamed up with another artist, um, but they they did help out with the soundtrack um, for Suzume. And um, much like how I felt about the film in general from Shinkai, Radwimps also delivered a very refreshingly new um, soundtrack that sounded a lot different and had a lot more um, of interesting um, uh, uh, kind of just range of music is the word i'm looking for 
um the chanting song whenever they're closing one of the doors is was just breathtaking i love that every time it showed up and it, again one of those things of like some people might get annoyed at how repetitive this is they play the exact same song every single time they're trying to close one of those doors and i didn't care because it was such a like compelling song i loved it um so that was really fun and then um with that being refreshing and me enjoying that aspect of the film, it made it much happier for me rather than annoyed at being derivative when in one of these news segments, um, when they're watching uh, Daijin on the news, uh, the background news music is in fact the ditty from your name that I just mentioned. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's literally that song. Um, so getting to hear that again was very, very fun as well. <laughs> I love a good Easter egg like that. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I also I, I also thought the music in this was was wonderful. I think it it perfectly in in those moments. I think the otherworldliness of it really came through, and I think it being the same song every time made it seem like that's just the sound of the other world. That's what the ever after just sounds like. Um, which I dig. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of what that chanting reminded me of because it reminds me of something in my mind, but it's like just on like the tip of my tongue kind of thing, which also I guess is kind of the vibe of it anyway, even if it does or doesn't. Uh, so that might just be that, um, but yeah. I... I have a really specific thing it reminded me of, which I don't know how much other people will know or remember, but it reminded me of the spirit theme from Brother Bear. <laughs> like, there's... I don't. I don't remember the spirit theme, but I remember the vibe of Brother Bear, and I'm not surprised that they have similar vibes. There's, there's like a in like Brother Bear, like when like the Aurora Borealis comes yeah. up, and they're like, yeah. find, like the spirit animals are in the sky, and like the characters are either like dying or connecting with their spirit selves. Mm. I haven't listened to that in a while, so it might be completely different. But like as you were saying, Kay, like on a vibe level, it felt like very similar styles of chanting. Oh, now I remember what it was. Um i don't know if i can say it because it's not animation on this podcast how how I dare know. you say something about uh, animation on this podcast we have never done that no. once in our lives no. uh yellow jackets there's also a very sort of worldly uh, mysterious creepy stuff going on and there's a very similar kind of uh noise um but yeah, in, in terms of rad wimps, um, I also was sort of very pleasantly surprised with um, you know, sort of what you're saying, how how refreshing it is, but then also how it also then allowed when we had those more, you know, like classical your name kind of songs come up, especially for like, you know, the final song as well was uh, you know, really great one. Um, it's uh it definitely made it stand out more. Um yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think they they did a really good job showing off even more their uh, composing skills um, in addition to their uh, rock anthem skills. Yeah. Uh, my guess for what it was going to remind you of was something that, not from the chance, but also something I was reminded of um, uh, watching this movie was, I believe the very first scene of Suzume is uh, a character in kind of a dreamlike state um seeing this kind of shadowy figure and going i think that's my mom and then the main character wakes up and they have tears in their eyes and they go mm. what was that and i thought attack on titan wasn't going to finish until august but here we are <laughs> um so yeah that was a little, a little I, that, yeah <laughs> i was gonna say steven universe too but <laughs> <laughs> yeah everyone's doing it yeah 
Aaron Yeager and Steven Universe, very similar characters. Very similar moral compasses on those two characters, I would say. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Jack, any any final thoughts from you on this movie? Um, I guess not in particular. I think I've I've said generally, I guess, sort of everything that's been been on my mind. Um, very great movie. Uh, go see if you enjoyed your name. You are going to enjoy this. Um, if you haven't seen your name and are like, what's this Suzume film that Jack and Caleb are talking about? Go and watch Suzume and also go and watch your name. I'm surprised you haven't yet. Um yeah, I'm I'm just I'm very I'm very very pleased with uh with the shift of this film um coming from Weathering with You. Um and I'm very excited to uh see what else uh he comes up with, uh Shinkai comes up with now moving into a little bit, you know, further in his career. Kelp, final thoughts? Yeah, I hate to do this in the Suzume episode, but uh, go watch your name. That's that's <laughs> like the number one priority from this episode. Uh, we'll do a Your of... Name episode. I think it's an inevitability at this point. I, yeah. I, I need to re-see it. So um, yeah. I'm sure one one or both of you again will, will show it to me again. Oh, yes. For sure. Um, but yes, that is... In a in a humorous tone, but also unironically, my biggest advice for this episode, uh, because that film is just so so important to me. Uh, and then, if you like your name, which you will, then you should <laughs> watch Suzume as well, um, because yes, this film was very very good. Uh, it has similar enough vibes to your name that a lot of if you that I you know I stand by. If you like your name, you will like this movie. However, it also is a very kind of refreshing change. Um, and again, if you've seen Weathering with You and you felt like there was a little bit derivative and a little bit repetitive. Um, Suzume is a nice uh, breath of fresh air, I would say, um, kind of taking things in a different tone, adding a different um, style uh, and uh, type of storytelling um, to Shinkai's career. And yeah, like I said, I'm very interested to see what he comes up with next. And um, it's a dang good movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say as a much more casual anime fan uh, than Jack or Caleb, if you are like me, occasionally on the fence when it comes to seeing anime, um, I really, really enjoyed this movie. And I think it had a lot in common with, you know, that again, that, that classic Ghibli style, real Howl's Moving Castle vibe. So if you, like me, have only seen a handful of anime and most of them are Studio Ghibli movies, I think you'll also have a really good time here. So I think there's a lot, a lot to love, regardless of your relationship with anime and Japanese cinema in general. So definite three thumbs up from this, uh, from this podcasting group. It sounds like let's, uh, let's get everyone out to the movies to see this. For a second, I thought you were going to say three thumbs up from you, and I was about to be very impressed. That my my you... big toe is also opposable. Oh, okay, yeah, but only one of them. O- only <laughs> one of them. them. Only one of them. I'm 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 very slowly turning into a rhesus monkey. Oh, yeah, but our viewers wouldn't know that because this is uh, not a visual medium. No, so. Anyway, thank you guys both uh, for joining us for this episode. I really appreciate you guys coming on, talk about this movie. And you're, of course, always welcome back to talk about anything you want. I know at some point you guys will be here for Clone Wars and Rebels. <laughs> so it's, it's so fascinating because I, we got to do your name at some point. We got to yeah. do Clone Wars, we got to do Rebels. And then I think, Jack, you know, I do. I There's a lot I love about it. 
if we ever do an Attack on Titan episode, I think it's just going to be like a debate between the two of us because we have a, <laughs> we have a lot of differing opinions on that it's, show. It's but... a debate worthy show. That's oh yeah, absolutely. It's going to be it, it would yeah. be a fascinating discussion. I don't, and I, I think both of us would probably come out with with a better understanding of where the other one's coming from. Um, but um, yeah, that's uh, that. I think that would also be a very interesting episode to have at some point. Yeah. But regardless, thank you I'll very be, much. I'll be off to the side drinking a cocktail while you guys go in <laughs> on it. Just let me know when to stop yeah. recording. And, and yeah. in a similar respect, actually, we we talked about uh, Studio Ghibli a lot. Um, I, I think with uh, uh, Miyazaki's supposedly final film mm. uh, upcoming his, this year, his third final film, his third <laughs> final film. Um, I think that also could be a great opportunity to do a retrospective on his career and all of his films. Because I, I, I forget if you also have seen all of his movies. Um, I it is, it's on my list to see all of them. I'm uh, not anywhere close. But I, specifically, I do want to see all the Ghibli films, even the ones okay. that were not him. Uh, which means I have had to suffer through Pom Poco. Uh, uh, my second takeaway from this episode is don't watch Pom Poco. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, yes, I also have some some probably fairly hot Ghibli takes as well. Most of them, I still like almost all those movies, but uh, in terms of which ones are my favorites, uh, there's there's some surprises in there. Um, but uh, yes, regardless, thank you very much for having us on. I would be happy to come back anytime. Uh, same as well. Well, I, I love the, the energy and enthusiasm and all the great ideas you guys have. So we will definitely get you guys on for those. Um, we got we got a lot of things to talk about and we have a lot of time to do it. So that's the beauty of having a cartoon time machine. We can take it anywhere we need to go and whenever we want to go there. <laughs> so again, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for listening at home. We will uh, we will go off into the time machine and, and we will uh, see some more amazing films. Uh, I'm Scarlett. I'm Jack. I'm Caleb. Today, the three of us are your animates, and we will see you next time.